when I was 25 and a half, I started a podcast. The goal? To review some of the newest and the latest movies, along with some other stuff. With the help of my guests, I was able to do this. But there were dark forces tampering with my podcast and with me. They called it an improvised podcast for some reason. I eventually found help in the form of myself. Yes, the me from a universe where the movies I reviewed got delayed. Apparently, my podcast made it to his universe. I know now that it is my duty, for the good of that universe, nay, the multiverse, to keep recapping and reviewing these movies, to hold listeners over until they could eventually see the movies as they were made in their world. For some reason, they come out differently in my world, but it's kind of entertaining that way. My name is Steven Schinder, and this is Delayed Replay. Delayed Replaying Nation, welcome to the Delayed Replay podcast, where you don't have to be a movie fan, but it sure does help. I'm your host, Mr. This isn't really a podcast, we're just bullshitting around. Multiverse. <laughs> it, uh, the actual host, Stephen Schinder. Stephen, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, just had some chicken noodle soup, and I have my water, and I feel ready to go. Good. So, uh... Yeah, I'll I'll stop. Uh, you, this is your show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair fair enough. Um, so yeah, this is delayed replay, and we review slash recap movies that got delayed in that other universe. Um, and I mean, f- so here's a funny thing about the last episode you were on, uh, Mister Multiverse. You know, the Snake Eyes episode. Like on that episode, I mentioned that like I think it's coming out on Paramount Plus in that other universe. But apparently it's being released in theaters, which surprised both me and the other me of that universe. I had low expectations for that movie, which is why I thought it wouldn't be in the theater over there. You know, I think the idea was that it was going to be on Paramount Plus, but then they saw how well Black Widow was doing and they were like, oh, we got to get on on this. Right. Yeah, that might have happened. But yeah, anyway, we're not talking about snake eyes anymore we're talking about spider-man no way home i I almost botched the title because all these movies have like home in them and it's like wait which one is this but before we get into that oh let's talk about our spider-man experiences so like what have been your experiences with spider-man over the years uh spider-man's been around for a long time like my first earliest um involvement with spider-man is of course the 90s cartoon and i actually had a trade i don't know how my dad got a hold of this but like a trade of like the collected black uh, black suit spider-man stories um before you know the symbiote went to venom it was like it was like just a collection of stories it wasn't really a story arc it's just here's spider-man in the symbiote costume that was that was really it and of course spider-man's kind of stuck with me all these years uh one of my favorite superheroes uh movies I have been up and down. I think um, for me personally, um, it was always Spider-Man 2 was like the pinnacle of Spider-Man movies. Then Spider-Verse came out and completely said, get your ass out of here, Spider-Man 2. <laughs> I'm I'm, num- I'm the number one now. Yeah, I agree. Into the Spider-Verse became my favorite with Spider-Man 2 as a close second. My older brother, Alex, would watch the 90s cartoon and I guess I would catch glimpses here and there. But it wasn't until the first Tobey Maguire movie came out that like we saw that in the theater. And I think that was the first 
Marvel live action film I ever watched. And like, I really loved it. And I loved Spider-Man too. I even, um, I'm embarrassed to admit this, like back in the day, I loved Spider-Man three. I thought it was the best one, but then years later growing up, I was like, you know what? No, that's the worst one. And like, I caught other cartoons, uh, like, I watched Spectacular Spider-Man as it aired, and I loved it. Wish it didn't get canceled. The MTV 2003 animated series I watched way later, and that one is just weird. (laughs) Um, And then Ultimate Spider-Man, some of the humor in that cartoon fell off to me, although it seemed to have gotten better once it got to the Web Warriors bit, where it also didn't into the Spider-Verse thing. The Andrew Garfield movies, I had mixed feelings about. I probably like the second Amazing Spider-Man more than the average person, but really the one and two go neck and neck for me. I still think they're both better than Spider-Man 3, but not as good as like Spider-Man 1 or 2 or any of these like Tom Holland movies. Like, what have been your thoughts on like the Tom Holland movies prior to this one? Um, They've been good. I wouldn't say like they've been the best, like I still find fault in them. Um, But I think like for what we've had with Tom Holland and Spider-Man, I think it's been really well done. Um, And it does suck because it doesn't feel like we went far enough with Tom Holland in the MCU. Like it never felt like it was um, like we never did enough with it. You know what I mean? And even in this movie, it doesn't feel like we did enough. It feels like we were doing everything but, you know, give more love to Holland because it always felt like he was just a, a vehicle for something else. You know what I mean? Oh, because like, of like the Iron Man connections. Yeah. Um, it always felt like he's just a pro- he's just kind of there to be not like a young Tony Stark or to deal with Tony's problems since Tony's not there. And I feel like sometimes like that was the detriment, especially like when he died, like when Peter died in, in Infinity War. Um, yeah, that just, moment was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but a <laughs> humor aside, I think that it still felt like this wasn't uh, like he was the main focus. It was like, let's do everything around Spider-Man and do cool stuff and have Spider-Man there. Like, and yeah, by the way, off off topic, did you ever see the, um, the original Tobey Maguire Spider-Man like teaser, like when it was him webbing up that helicopter between the twin tower, the twin towers? Um, I don't think I have, but I know that that the towers are like edited out of the movie because, you know, yeah, but like I re- distinctly remember being in a movie theater, seeing that teaser for the Spider-Man movie. And I was like, oh, I mean, obviously, I know it's gone, but I like I have that memory of being in a movie theater as a kid and seeing that teaser distinctly. I can't remember what the movie was, but I distinctly remember being in the theater to see that. I don't know why. I just thought, yeah, I remember that. Like, I, I just we were talking about the movies. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember the Spider-Man 3 teaser being pretty hype, but of course we all know the end result. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Yeah, like it's fun as a meme, but as a story, like it just doesn't really work. Like Peter Parker's a jerk even before he gets the symbiote. And there was also like an editor's edition or editor's cut or something that I thought was slightly worse. It came out like a few years ago. But... With Homecoming, I really did feel that, like, with the whole, like, Iron Man stuff. Like, it kind of felt like 
the movie was doing too much to shove down our throats that this is part of the MCU. It's like, we saw Civil War, we get it. And it's like, but with Far From Home, I thought it was an improvement. It's actually my third favorite. Um, well, like when I saw it, I was like, this is my second favorite live action Spider-Man movie. So like behind two, but still behind Into the Spider-Verse. And I thought it did a good job of like, Peter's finally growing beyond like the Tony Stark thing, although they still interweave a bit of that into his character. And during the like post credit scene or whatever, I was like the only idiot in my theater who was shouted yes when it showed J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson. And yeah, like this one, No Way Home, deals with the consequences of that ending where like, you know, J. Jonah Jameson shows the world footage that um, Mysterio leaked. Uh, Everyone in the world like hears that, oh, Spider-Man is Peter Parker. And so now in No Way Home, he's like on the run. And uh, as we've talked about before in the um, on this podcast, in the Venom, Let There Be Carnage episode, he like met up with some other characters. And so he's still on the run here and his friends and aunt are trying to help him. So yeah, what did you think of that decision to like out him at the end of that, his second movie? I thought that was a bold choice, honestly. I wasn't expecting that yeah. to be public enemy number one. I wasn't, ex- but it was like a neat twist. Like, um, I really did dig. Um, it was like, oh, this isn't going in the direction I thought it was going to be. Um, and I really kind of liked how it's Spider-Man on the defensive because now. He, if he thought, you know, being difficult without the having no Avengers or anyone here to help him, it's a it's a whole new ball game here. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, where do you want to start with this movie? <laughs> oh man, yeah, because it's all over the place. Because you hear references to like when he bumped into like it, Venom and Morbius, it, but like the main um, thing is like like he's trying to like figure out what to do with himself but there's also this multiverse stuff because this is like during multiverse of madness and I-, I think we forgot to mention this on the multiverse of madness episode but like loki kind of had a role in that it was just there's so much going on that like i guess we kind of spaced it but yeah th- this is like partially the result of like what happened in loki but yeah like where do you want to start well I want to say that we can't break the Spider-Man curse. We, <laughs> we can't break a, a a good third movie. We can't have a perfect Spider-Man trilogy. And then again, you got to hand it to Amazing Spider-Man. You can't have a, a, a bad trilogy if you don't make a third movie. Um, yeah, I remember reading someone's post where like their headcanon is that there's no Amazing Spider-Man 3 because like he gets, you know, he goes up against Rhino and then it cuts to credits. And the person's headcanon was that, oh, it, like after during the credits, like Rhino kills him. And that's why there's no third movie. <laughs> <laughs> I this movie is really trying to do it because here's the problem is that Sony has a lot of say with with the Spider-Man films, even if they're MCU. The problem with that is they try to do way too much in way in one movie. Like they try to it's too many cooks in the movie. Once again, it was the same problem with um, Spider-Man three and the same problem again in Amazing Spider-Man two. You'd think after how many times Sony's done this, they'd be like, oh, maybe we should back off and just let them do this stuff. 
and it doesn't help because it's very clear sony's like no no no, we we can be like you kevin feige we can be like you come on just let us sit at the big kids table (laughs) yeah it kind of feels like they were trying to cram in a lot of stuff because like it felt like the studios were going back and forth on like how things would go forward after this so they're trying to do as much as they can in case of like a worst case scenario but it does feel sloppy at times the way they try to tie into all these different things and they kind of like there's like a little cop-out line like there are some things that happen that feel like they contradict other movies and the their like explanation is like oh well because of like the multiverse and like the timeline stuff from Loki and whatnot. That's why you see contradictions happening and it like switches back and forth. And it's like, okay, whatever. It's mind boggling that again, we're here doing like 10 things in once in a two in a admittedly it is two and a half hours, almost three, but like I, man, they, oof, they, I guess like one of the things I did like is that, um, it really does show that Peter is like he's he's still a, a young kid and now he's dealing with being one of the most wanted people in the world. And even he can't go to the Avengers. He can't go to anybody because then he'll be found out. It's kind of like the fugitive with superpowers. And I kind of wish we stuck with that <laughs> instead of doing all this multiverse crap. <laughs> because like the idea it like. Like the initial idea of of this is that Spider-Man is is being wanted for the murder of Mysterio. And they even acknowledge like no one like the Avengers won't believe that he you killed somebody, Pete. And Pete's like, yeah, but I can't go to them because then it'll be culpable. And they're still dealing with the Sokovia Accords. I was like, that's actually. Oh, yeah, that's right. The Avengers are still dealing with that, even if it's been five years. (laughs) That makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. And like. It turns out that some of the fan theories of like one fan theory that came true was that he goes to Matt Murdock, uh, played by Charlie Cox from the Netflix Daredevil show and tries to like get his help. I thought that was really cool to see. What about you? I really dug that. And it's nice because Charlie Cox was probably one of the best things in Netflix Marvel. Yes. (laughs) Um, If not the best, but like it was cool to see him here. Um, And he does like he wants to help. But like then, you know, the task force that's been sent by spider uh, sent to take out Spider-Man goes after him. And I I like this because it's actually very reminiscent of a Spider-Man storyline that happened post-Civil War. It's called um, New Ways to Die, where in that Spider-Man has is being hunted by Norman Osborn and the Thunderbolts who have been uh, who are the Thunderbolts in this incarnation are. pro-registration villains who go out and hunt down and either detain or murder unregistered superheroes and Spider-Man switched sides. So they're after him. So it was actually very kind of cool that we had a group of supervillains that are, it's basically the sinister six, but like, it is cool that like they are being treated like, um, like the Thunderbolts and they are hunting Spider-Man. Yeah, I, I really dig like when they try this fugitive on the run type of thing. Like I really dug that in The Incredible Hulk, the 2008 movie. Like that movie doesn't get enough love in my opinion. It's like one of my favorites of the MCU. And it's like, uh, I definitely got those vibes here in this scene. 
Yeah. I even love that scene where Peter's like, oh, man, how did Bruce do this for 10 years? <laughs> yeah. That was a nice little shout out. Do you want to talk about Task Force 6, as they're called? It's the Sinister Six, but they call it Task Force 6. Yeah, that was like a weird name. Is that something in the comics or is that a weird movie thing? That's a weird movie thing. Like, it's okay. clearly supposed to be the Sinister Six. I was like, just call it the Sinister Six. I don't <laughs> I don't need this, Mark MC. You're better than this. You, I'm still mad at you for Taskmaster. Why are you doing this? <laughs> right. Yeah, Taskmaster could have been better in that Black Widow movie from last year, I guess. But yeah. <laughs> um, but um, the six, uh, do you want to talk about the lineup? Because we it's it, it's all like Spider-Man villains. Like you have Scorpion here. You have Matt Gargan in the Scorpion suit. I mean, we yeah. did have Matt Gargan in, um, at the had end more... of Homecoming. Yeah, at the end of Homecoming. He's in the Scorpion suit. And they're like, and Spider-Man's like, who gave you that? Like, who in their right mind gives you that? And he said, a little gift from Jameson, which is true because in the comics, Jameson did help make the Scorpion. Right. Yeah, so I was like, oh, that's a neat little nod. I'm surprised he's not being, you know, Jameson's not being arrested for something like, for, you know, inhuman testing, but we'll ignore that right now. Um, (laughs) That always boggled my mind. I was like, wait a minute. He funded making a supervillain. So why hasn't Jameson, even in the, as much as I love J. Jonah Jameson as a character, he's he's probably my favorite Spider-Man supporting character. I was like, you, you need, you never answered for that. You made a supervillain, dude. You even made the spider slayers. Um, but yeah. I, I digress. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm getting off topic. Um, but Scorpion, it was really cool. Uh, then we had Morbius. Uh so it was nice to see that little tie there. Um, Morbius. Yeah, like going against Spider-Man. And like, they don't really mention like what's happened between, because again, they're like doing too much. And so they don't have enough time to explain. But we're supposed to assume that like the timeline and multiverse stuff is sort of making things weird, I guess. But yeah, yeah. Morbius is part of this. The closest we get to this is that Pete goes, why are you doing this? Uh, we were allies. Like, I, I thought you were on my side. And he's like, they it like, they found a way to cure me and all like all it's going to cost me is your blood. <laughs> and he's you know, like, all right, that's happened before. I'll accept it. Um, we had Vulture come back. Yeah. That was um, you want to talk about the next three villains? Oh yeah. So, so we get this, like f- we get this footage of like from Spider-Man two when Doc Ock is like in the river and like they use de-aging stuff to show him like, uh, getting out of it some like the way they show it is kind of weird but yeah like doc ock is there and i mean we also get jamie fox as a different kind of electro who's not blue but before we get to that like what'd you think of how they brought back doc ock i like uh, doc ock is my favorite spider-man villain and alfred molina as ock is probably my favorite incarnation of spider-man villains so it was cool to see him here i was actually what got me really excited and I like how they basically say he, it, yeah, Spider-Man 2 did happen, but he, his experiment, like it opened a rift and that's what caused the branch. And it, oh, like when his branch was, his branch in time happened that in the multiverse, that ga- that thing he was building, that miniature star or whatever, opened up that rift and it sent him here. 
and the new group, not Shield or Hydra, that new group by uh, Fonta- by uh, Miss Fontaine from the Falcon and Winter Soldier, picked him up and gave him a choice. Is like either you can be an experiment or you can be our attack dog. Which is it going to be, Doctor? Yeah, like that was very like the de aging technology here is very convincing. Like Marvel knows how to do it for the most part. And yeah, I thought that was a very unique way to bring him in. And what what were your thoughts on like the original, like how Jamie Foxx did Electro in Amazing Spider-Man 2 compared to here? Here it's not as like weirdo um, Batman Forever Riddler <laughs> creepy. Yeah, it's, it's um, not as cringy. <laughs> but I do like he's wearing like a variation of the green and yellow suit. He's it, yes. Like, um, and like when he flares up, like it looks like his mask, his classic mask. Like when his powers are flaring up, like it makes like a like his electricity is like flaring everywhere, making like a mask. Yeah, it kind of has like that sort of star shape that looks like his mask. Yeah. So it was really cool to see that. And he's actually got a lot more. I'll give him credit. Like, I want to get all the positives out of the way before we get to the negatives. But like, (laughs) I like this version of Max Dillon better than Amazing. Well, everything's better than Amazing (laughs) Spider-Man 2. But they actually like give him more stuff like he's. He is skittish and nervous, but like that's part of Dylan's whole thing is that um, he's always been like borderline schizophrenic, but he's never like obsessed with Spider-Man. But like he's just he's he has like an inferiority complex and is like trying to prove himself and like be better. And I do like that they do say that this is the same Max Dylan as that as um, from Amazing Spider-Man 2. But like, ah, he's been ripped here, ripped from his universe to here for a while and has been used as a weapon but reason being as to why it looks different here is because they basically helped him like control his powers and like re-harness it so now he can actually like his body while still electrical it actually has like a like a shape around it like he looks human now like he's been given time to control his powers to an even better extent yeah and like Jamie Foxx is a really good actor, but he just wasn't given that much great material in Amazing Spider-Man 2. Like seeing him as a Spider-Man fanboy was just cringe. <laughs> so I'm I, glad he was given a chance here. And I do like that um, Ock like takes him under his wing. Like he's like, look, you're you're from not from this universe and you're clearly they do like they do give Ock some sympathy. But at the same time, he's like, I'm not from this universe. I want to go back home. So if I have to, so if I got to kill another Spider-Man, so be it. Yeah, because they both have this conversation where they're like, there's no way that there's no way home. And that was a moment where I just face palmed myself. I was like, really, that you, yeah. you had to write that line in there. Yeah. Um, I even like the moment where like Ock comes to defend Max, like when the um, the guards at the prison at the vault are like zap are like hurting him for fun. And Ock reaches out with his tentacles, just throws them aside. And he's just like, it's OK, man, you know, I'm here, you know, like he understands Max is not mentally like OK and shouldn't be out there. But he even like it brings this up and he's like, look. I'm all for killing Spider-Man, but you need to replace Max. He is he is a liability on the field. Right. You you do get some internal tension here and there, which kind of shakes things up. Do you want to talk about the sixth member of this Task Force 6, I guess it's called? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> do you know how much he sacrificed? All of it. 
we must avenge him. I'm okay. It's it's Willem Dafoe, Green Goblin. <laughs> like <laughs> right, yeah. I was trying to remember the Thanos line, and I'll even know if I got it right. But yeah, it's Willem Dafoe, Green Goblin. <laughs> yeah, wearing the classic suit. He's got like the the rucksack and everything, and the classic pumpkin bombs. And I'm like, oh, and even it, like <laughs> to quote uh, Willem Dafoe, oh. I yeah. really dug that, like, people said, like, because the original thing with with Sam Raimi was that he always said that he wanted to use the classic costume in the original movie, but it lo- it didn't it look goofy to a lot of the executives. And I was like, doesn't look goofy now. What did you think of seeing the comic accurate costume? Yeah, I was surprised that they found a way to make it look good, like. You know, the MCU sometimes is able to get some of those ridiculous looking costumes and adapt them to a way where it makes sense. And yeah, like he does really look like a goblin, but with the like the purple hat actually looks good on him. And it's like, yeah, this is the green goblin. And and of course, you know, it's it's funny how like uh, maybe we've talked about this before, but how in like the Raimi films, like you would see. Norman talking to his reflection and it it's reminded me of like the evil dead movies and how like you know there'd be an evil ash in the mirror and so it's like oh, okay we got evil Norman Osborn here again it's like yeah it's kind of weird yeah I like that they make him the field leader of this group because I don't yeah Ox excuse me Norman has never been a part of the Sinister Six so it was kind of cool to see him in this incarnation and like It makes sense. But at the same time, he's like not only the field leader, he's like the one bankrolling it all. And like he's the only one not in prison. And they also like they make the whole thing of like, oh, the Green Goblin is like a like a hidden convict or whatever. But it was like, no, uh, Norman Osborn is the guy running the vault, the new like warden, I guess you could say. And he's secretly the Green Goblin playing into the classic Spider-Man comics of the Green Goblin was originally a mystery of who it was, but it is so cool to see, you know, Willem Dafoe be Willem Dafoe. Yeah, he's such a great actor. <laughs> we also get, because, you know, back in Spider-Man 2, when they were trying to, you know, the Daily Bugle were trying to come up with a name for Dr. Octopus, and one of the names that suggests is Dr. Strange, and J. J- Jameson is like, that's good, but it's already taken. Well, we find out in this movie that the Doctor Strange of that universe is played by Joaquin Phoenix, who <laughs> was actually considered for the role of MCU Doctor Strange. So you see him and like the Benedict Cumberbatch Doctor Strange interact in this movie. Yeah. You want to talk about what was going on with Strange in this movie? Yeah, go ahead. Well, um, it's nice to see that this Doctor Strange, like he's exhausted because, well, multiverse. Yeah, um, like that's going on during this. <laughs> yeah, he's just wiped out emotionally and physically because he's been going around dealing with timelines. And also like he's been he's not directly involved with the TVA, but he knows what they do. He doesn't want to get involved because of what happened with Loki and all that. But he's basically trying to like sever. He's not trying to like reset timelines. It's more like he's trying to like sever them off from the like cutting off branches and letting them just grow on their own. Like he's trying to do it in a humane way. 
he even does a thing where like he tries showing a visual of it so that you know the audience can like follow along with it like when it was announced that he would be the mentor to peter parker in this movie i was i thought to myself really we we just got past the iron man thing now you're gonna get this similar character to be peter's mentor in this well what what do you think of that dynamic between them i was just kind of like can spider-man just be Spider-Man on his own. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm all for Marvel team up, but like, yeah, I don't need all the older superheroes like talking down to Peter. At this point, I think he's got this. Wasn't the whole point of no of um Far From, from home, home that yeah, was the whole point of it was to go, oh, Peter's really got this deep down. Yeah, and then they just go back on it, take a step back. <laughs> Uh, I do appreciate that they at least insert a flashback finally of like a time when Peter talked to his uncle Ben, who's played by Jason Alexander in this flashback. And like in the flashback, he finally says with great power comes great responsibility. And it's like, yes, freaking finally. Like, why were you all, why were all these movies like tiptoeing around it? Also of all people, Jason Alexander is 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 Uncle Ben. <laughs> like I yeah. almost had like, a mini aneurysm seeing that. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the the working title for Far From Home was Summer of George because I think the inside joke was that you know on Seinfeld, George Costanza, Jason Alexander's character, wanted to date Marissa Tomei, who plays Aunt May, and she appears in Seinfeld, uh, but. Yeah, like, I guess they just decided to go along with that joke in this movie. Yeah, I'll give him credit, though. Alexander's a decent Uncle Ben. Like, I was actually like, huh, he's not. I mean, I I hate it, but like, it's he's he's not awful. He's not trying to be like, huh, I'm Jason Alexander in an important role. It's more like I'm Jason Alexander and I'm trying and I'm and I'm actually like pulling my ass off here. Yeah, I mean, outside of Seinfeld, he's actually done roles here and there where he's he seems a bit more genuine. He's not playing the idiot or whatever. Like, if I ever met Jason Alexander in person, um, like, I know he's kind I think he and Wayne Knight are kind of tired of, like, people referring to them as, like, their Seinfeld characters. So, like, if I ever met Jason Alexander, I would be like, Oh man, I, I I loved you in Malcolm in the Middle, you know, that one episode he was in, or like, oh, you're so great in that one episode of Everybody Hates Chris. I would mention these like obscure things he's been in that he's not the most famous for. Heck, even that horror movie The Burning that he was in back in the early 80s, that was a trip when I watched that movie a while back, like seeing a young Jason Alexander. I personally am like, um, Again, I don't think he was the right the first choice for uh, for the role. But like at the same time, I was like, he's not bad. Like he taught like him and Pete. He's talking to a younger Peter Parker, eight years, like an eight year old Peter Parker. And he's like and Peter tells him, you know, I want to be a superhero. And because they're because obviously it ties back to like the little joke that Tom Holland had of that kid that um, was in Iron Man 2. That's supposed to be Peter Parker. Yeah, I, I did. I did kind of like not like that. I didn't connection. like it. I didn't like it. But what it led to was cute of like right. uh, they were at the Stark Expo and they're leaving. He's like, I want to be a superhero like Iron Man. And Ben goes, 
you know, you I know you can be whatever you want to be, and I'm not saying you can, but like, there's a lot of things I wanted to be. I didn't, but then it's all the things you didn't think you wanted to be that turn out to be the best things. Like he says, like for the longest time, I wanted to be a football player, and and he's like, but you're too fat to be a football player, Uncle Ben. He's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, and he goes, but that is like, that is, so I decided to be a water boy, and. If I was not a water boy, I wouldn't have met your uh, your aunt on the cheer on the cheering squad. Yeah, uh, that that was a cute story. And then, like, it fast forwards a bit to um, Peter, like at the hospital. You don't see it, but like, it's a pull away shot. It's a pulling away shot, and you see it starts with his his he's just tearing up with um, Aunt May on the ground crying while it's pulling away with all the like um, people just running around in like a emergency room so you already you don't need to see it but you already know what happened yeah it's kind of like how like the batman didn't even need to show us the like shooting of bruce's parents like it's like yeah we know yeah it's been kind of weird because like ever since tom holland and i guess kevin feige said that thing about that iron man 2 connection i've been like okay, but, like, why is that not mentioned in Homecoming or Far From Home? Like, it's, like, it's almost like it wasn't really a thing in canon, but, like, I guess this, like, really, like, drove that home finally. And, you know, I did roll my eyes about it, but if it brings us Jason Alexander, Uncle Ben, then, like, you know, it's it's a give and take, so I'm fine with it ultimately, I guess. Yeah. I, I, I've, I've run out of good things to say. Well, I mean, it does get messier because, like, eventually we do get, like, the Sinister Six members who were supposed to be in the Amazing Spider-Man series. Like, they, like, toward the end, they cram them into this. And so it's, like, uh, Task Force Six versus, like, that Sinister Six versus Spider-Man. But, of course, before we get to that, we get Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man and you, I really love the way that, uh, like, Tom Holland meets. So I, I'm just referring to them by their actor names so we don't get confused. But, like, Tom is with um, MJ and Ned in this, like, safe house type of thing. Like, they're hiding out. And then there's, like, a knock at the door. And they're kind of hesitant. Like, there's this hesitation from them to answer it. But ultimately, they they try to like get ready to fight in case they need to, but then they open the door and you hear pizza time and it's Toby McGuire with like a pizza box, but he's also like, he reveals himself to be another Spider-Man. And then like Andrew Garfield comes in and is like, Hey, I think we need to talk about a little thing we all have in common. And so, yeah. What'd you think of their meetup? Like at this point, yeah, it was kind of like, oh, you're finally here. Um, I didn't want this to be Spider-Verse, the live action movie. Right. <laughs> um, I was just like, oh, so we're just going to have this Spider-Man not even have like his own story. It's going to be him with Doctor Strange. And on top of that, we have a bunch of other Spider-Man because, ooh, ooh we got Tom Holland with Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. I don't know why I sound like an idiot. <laughs> like, um, yeah, just Rugrats. <laughs> yeah. I I hate this. I hate th- I hated this. And I was like, maybe I'm because I was like, we did this before with Spider-Verse and it was golden. I don't need a live action version with two actors who clearly don't want to be here. 
because it's very clear in the acting that Maguire and Garfield didn't get, like we're here for the paycheck. Even though Into the Spider-Verse was like, there was no way this was going to surpass that. Me and lots of other people still really wanted this. And so I guess I can't complain too much because it's like, yeah, I asked for this. And so even if it turns out not as good, it's like, well, at least we get it. But you can tell that they're phoning it in at times. But yeah, it's it is what it is, I guess. I'm not super upset about it, but it can definitely be a lot better. Like especially the plot could have been less messy. Yeah. Now there were um, before I get back to because uh, I got some things to say about Garfield and and um, and McGuire. Yeah, the cat. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Andrew Garfield. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, there were some cool cameos because this is a Spider Verse live action. Like we got a cool because the whole thing we find out is that Norman Osborn's been exploring the multiverse and killing Spider Man throughout the multiverse on the side. The organization he's been working for, like the new government organization that with um, Fontaine. They're like basically exploring multiverses and he's been going out on like a side to like kill them. And one of them is like Nicolas Cage as a live action noir Spider-Man. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. And he even rides a motorcycle, which I guess is a little reference to the fact that he played Ghost Rider. <laughs> I like that, although he does get brutally murdered. Like it's a shadow shot of like Goblin just taking his glider and decapitating that Spider-Man. Yeah. There's also I even like how they reference the the voice actor Spider-Man like Josh Keaton and Christopher Daniel Barnes are playing a pair of cops. And I didn't know this until I looked up like, oh, that's who they are, because I was like, wait, those two guys sound familiar. And it's like two officers that are investigating the hunt for Spider-Man in like one of his latest fights with the with Task Force Six. And it's like, oh, wait, I know those voices. That's Josh Keaton and Christopher Daniel Barnes who played spectacular and 90 spider-man oh damn you, you just blew my mind like i didn't hear about this but that's amazing <laughs> yeah i mean they aren't playing they aren't playing spider-man but i was like oh that's that was a neat little nod to the animated shows yeah really hate like they basically kind of throw over like where have you been all this time and it's like they reveal that that, that garfield and mcguire spider-man have been dumped here during this whole war of the multiverses because their multiverses get killed, like they're destroyed. They say, we don't know what it was, but it destroyed them. And there were refugees, essentially. And I was like, oh, so Kang destroyed their timelines. I think that's what they were trying to infer is that it was Kang who destroyed their universes. Yeah. And it kind of poses this question of like, I mean, with comic book stuff, I expect things to get reset the way they were, or maybe like, parts of these different universes will become part of one universe or something kind of like crisis on infinite earths kind of did but yeah I, I don't know like what they're gonna do with this like i feel like when it eventually gets resolved like i don't know when like, i feel like there will be like a reset where like there won't be as good of a flow between things where it'll be like, oh, some stuff happened in these movies, but now the stuff in these other movies are kind of just normal now and don't really flow from like the movies or you know, or shows from before. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It also doesn't help that this movie like basically like says like, oh, what have they been? What have McGuire and Garfield been doing in their respective universes post their movies? To which they explain that, oh, why Norman Osborn's still alive 
is that they took the 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 whole stupid story arc of that Norman Osborn survived the blades and joined this cult in Europe. That was an actual thing in the Spider-Man comics. Oh wow! <laughs> and oh, it gets worse because they even referenced that he and Spider and he and his Mary Jane were going to have a baby, but then when she, they delivered the baby, Norman had it kidnapped and murdered. And again, that was in the comics. I was like, oh, so we're doing that storyline. Well, at least, <laughs> and then. We get to Garfield, who explains like he was in the middle of dealing with a clone of of Gwen Stacy. I was like, oh, don't do this. Don't do this. And he was dealing with the clone saga. Yeah. Who uh, that's all that's for all of three people who like the clone saga. (laughs) Begun the clone saga has. It it does feel like they're trying to cram in too many references. Not only that, not even good references. Like those are (laughs) terrible Spider-Man storylines. Right. (laughs) Like was was this just them? Just oh, we have these these cool Spider-Man references. Like these aren't good Spider-Man references though. Right. But I mean, what'd you think of how like it looked when like everyone was fighting each other? Like because because we've seen how infinity war and Endgame are able to do it and, and i think it works there but how'd you think of how it all looked here man there were some great fight scenes in the other two movies where was that <laughs> cinematographer <laughs> yeah like it, it was like too shaky at times here right yeah like there wasn't even a good fight scene in any of them like everything was like shaky did did they just fire whoever was on the cinematography group and replace them with somebody else from michael bay's team yeah it was almost like they were they put the camera on like a web because they're trying to like emulate that thing with like spider-man or whatever and they're just trying to see if it would work like just swinging it around but it's just pandemonium and it's dizzying it's like why are you doing this yeah let's also talk about how they give nothing for um ned Leeds and mary jane to do ned and mj feel like they're just kind of there which is a shame because like peter and mj finally have a relationship at the end of far from home and you know ned is like really funny and it's like because there's all these other characters are trying to cram in it's like there's not enough for them like mj does kind of give a pep talk at some point but that's about it like she and ned don't have a whole lot to do and neither does aunt may like she's just kind of there yeah the other thing is like we never get like a moment where like toby or you know mcguire or garfield spider-man are talking to holland spider-man and like hey so you have a great thing going on my wife divorced me and garfield spider-man uh his girlfriend died (laughs) and he's like and i love the only thing we get close to that is that um holland spider-man goes he's on the phone and goes hey mj and mcguire goes oh wait you have an mj i have an mj and and garfield goes who's mj yeah (laughs) it kind of reminded me of that oh we're using our fake names now line from infinity war for some reason like just the way it was delivered there's just so much go like there's again like I, I do understand that like lots of us, uh, I'm not saying you're a part of this, but lots of us in the fandom were like asking for much of this, but it's like seeing the end result. It's like, eh, could they have done this better? Or is this like the best that it could be in live action? And so there, there is an element of like, 
maybe like be careful what you wish for that that that's the phrase i was trying to remember but yeah that's just what i was feeling by the end of it yeah and i was just so fatigued because i was like i was so over it because plot but plot we're just here for fan service yeah uh, and and like by the end i wasn't sure like which villains were dead which ones were imprisoned and then like where are they in prison because there's just so much going on yeah it's clear that this was meant for nostalgia points like i forgive christ on infinite earths when it was a cw event because i was like it's low budget and the fact that we're doing this at all is a is a neat idea the execution wasn't that great but i give it points it's doing something no television show for superheroes had done before this has no excuse (laughs) here it's like it's big budget you have marvel has all the money thanks to the mouse and it felt really lazy and also all over the place. Was it was it a war between was it just Sony spiting Disney or was it the other way around? Because that's right. That's the only explanation I can give is that why this so went off the rails was I can only imagine one company was spiting the other over the Spider-Man divorce. Yeah, I should have called this Spider-Man No Way Home. Get out. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> Yeah, it just kick me out and then I have no way home. <laughs> All right. That's it. That's your one. <laughs> um but yeah, like after the final fight, there is this moment where the three Spider-Man are standing side by side looking at the city and they're just like, "What now?" and it's like they say like we'll see what happens and it's like do the filmmakers have an idea of what will happen or are they just waiting to see like what's going on with like the studios like if they're still working together or if they won't be like it kind of feels like they wrote an ending that could go either way because they're still not sure like what's going to go on and that was very distracting to me yeah that that ending was so half and (laughs) half-assed yeah was there anything else you wanted to talk about uh before we sort of wind things down um i guess the post-credit scenes oh that's right yeah let's go ahead and talk about those so first post-credit scene is just an ad for for craven the hunter where it's in africa and it has like pictures all on the wall of the different spider-men and then you just see a knife thrown at the wall hitting one of the spider-men and that's it i was like oh i guess i'll go watch craven not really no The second one was interesting because because there's there's six who need like I'm all for after credit scene. But I was like, six is overdoing it. Four was overdoing it in Guardians. <laughs> um, I think it was five in Guardians. Now that yeah, I think five. back to it. So, yeah. Was it just like they were trying to one up Guardians, too? Yeah. Um, but yeah. So it was like, oh, sick, sinister six. So we're doing six cut scenes. That's the only explanation I can give. Um. So the next one is interesting because it goes to Chronoopolis from the Loki show and it shows like it's ruined, it's destroyed. And the dead body of Immortus, the the one he who remains, um, is sitting there and it's like rotting like this, just a skeleton now. And in comes this figure and he just tosses the body away and it's it's Kang. And it's like now it's he says, now it's time to get to real work. I was like, all right. Yeah, I, I got chills there. <laughs> yeah, because again, like I'm like Kang, they clearly want make, to make Kang the new Thanos, which I'm all for. Like he's the perfect successor. Right. Yeah, because, well, well, I didn't watch it when it 
originally aired or i think it was like after it finished airing it was avengers earth's mightiest heroes that animated show and i loved that show i was like disappointed that it got canceled in favor of avengers assemble which from what i saw looked like it was trying too hard to feel like the movies whereas earth's mightiest heroes felt comics inspired but also doing its own thing you know we also get like a scene where you know it's matt murdoch going back to his office and he like looks at the daredevil suit and then a shot goes through his window and he looks outside and like for far away you see bullseye and it's like oh okay i, I guess maybe we might get daredevil season four after all but in in this disney era or like mcu like, like i don't know what's gonna happen but like Clearly, they want to do something. It'll just be interesting to see if they follow up on that. Yeah. The next one is clearly for like the Sony versus big villain, which I called year like a while ago. So we go. So we're in the voice. I have to explain this because not a lot. I, I have to explain this because you were probably dumbstruck by this. Um, <laughs> you were like you, were, Steve, you were probably like, who is this guy? So we cut to this endless void in space in this planet and we dig under the planet and it's filled with symbiotes and at the bottom of it is someone like all nestled up like he's in he's like tied up by symbiote strings and the eyes just open and he's like my time is now and i was like oh that's null so null god of the symbiotes i guess is going to be the big villain for there it's going to be sony versus thanos Oh, okay. Yeah. So maybe it could show up in the next Venom movie or something and maybe some others. So we also get the one where like Morbius is like, you know what? I'm just going to like leave and do my own thing again. And it, it just felt like very cynical. Like, like you could tell that like the studios didn't want, like they kind of felt forced to include Morbius into this movie. So I guess they're like trying to poke fun at themselves or each other or something it's just him like walking away and it's like okay yeah morbius is gonna go back to like doing his own film series yeah i have a movie franchise to protect yeah <laughs> jared leto away <laughs> um but then the final part comes in and it makes me both excited and confused because the final scene is like the daily bugle like talking about well i think our sources were wrong but i still hold the belief that spider-man is still a criminal and it's on a podcast and someone's watching it on a hoodie i was like is is this who i think it is and the kid looks up at, at like when he hears the name miles and he looks up and he's like oh can, can we have miles in the mcu if, if that's possible <laughs> yeah because like we've seen his uncle in homecoming and so like, I wasn't expecting him to show up in the MCU this early because I like during Homecoming, I wasn't sure like how young he was. But of course, there's been like five or six or seven years or something between the movies now. And um, or or maybe eight. I don't know. The timeline is wonky. But yeah, point being, there's enough time for Miles to have grown older. So he's like a teen now. And it's like, yeah, now I'm pumped to see Miles morales i hope they do him justice in live action like th this movie it really did feel like they're trying to do a lot I, I mean we didn't even talk about how like they even included the vultress who was supposed to be like the vulture 
ish villain in Spider-Man four, if that ever got made. And she was played by Anne Hathaway in this. And, um, Tom Holland's brother, Harry also had like a cameo as a drug dealer, which was kind of funny, but it's kind of like blink and you miss it. So you want to talk about rating like ratings? Yeah. I'm going to give this movie at the end of the day was a muddled mess trying to be Spider-Verse live action movie and it failed miserably. (laughs) So I am going to give it, while it was ambitious, I'm going to give it five pizza times out of (laughs) ten. I beat you to it. Dang. I I mean, I know it was messy, but I think I came out enjoying this one much more than you did. I think ordinarily I would give this one like a 7.4. Like, it was messy, but I did kind of like some of the nostalgia, although it could have been executed better. So, like, ordinarily, I'd give it a 7.4, but because J.K. Simmons was in it, um, for those who haven't listened to the Tomorrow War episode, we kind of established that, oh, if J.K. Simmons is in the movie, that adds another 0.75. And since we have, like, two of him in this movie, like, we have the two J. Jonah Jamesons arguing with each other, which was really funny. Uh, that's an extra 1.5. So altogether, I give this 8.9. I want pictures of Spider-Mans. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we head off, uh, let, let's read this review that a friend of mine sent in for a delayed replay. So uh, it looks like this was posted about a week ago, like last Sunday. And this was before... I recorded the previous episode, uh, but I don't know if it showed up before then. But so in any case, I guess this is kind of a delayed reply. So if you want to email us, email delayed replay podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Uh, but the review is on Apple Podcasts. This is from Jesse Bennett. No relation to Austin Bennett, who was on the Tomorrow War episode. He says mid season one review. I'm a little late to this one and only five or six episodes in, but I thoroughly enjoy the reviews Steven and guests give for these movies, anxiously awaiting the day I can watch these movies in my universe. And he gave the podcast five stars. And and so, yeah, I I talked to him since then, and he said he's listened to, uh, he kind of switches between season one and season two episodes. He says that's the season two episodes of this podcast play better, which I mean, I know some of the editing on the season one, like early season one episodes were kind of rough, but uh, I am kind of glad to hear that season two sounds like an improvement, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really cool. That's uh, like I wasn't expecting that. So I'm glad you kept the delayed reply. That actually should be your thing. That should, you should trademark that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I guess with that, um, I mean, unless you have anything else to say, I guess we can like give our plugs and you can say where people can find you. They can find me on Mr. Multiverse. Yes, and that's on YouTube. And people can follow me at Steven Schinder on Instagram and Twitter, Steven Schinder Storytelling on Facebook. Um, I'll put links to other things I'm involved in the with in the show notes. Uh, find my book at stevenschinder.com and Amazon. More info to come for the next one. And you can also find Yes Shift, uh, the podcast that me and my dad made about the band Yes. Uh, We ended up adding the letter F into it, so that's not the other word, um, so that people don't get confused and think we're trashing the band. We actually love the band. So yeah, it's called Yes Shift, and you can find that on many platforms. 
And yeah, I think that'll do it. Without further delay, have a good day.